The pastor's heart and Dominic Steele and thanks for joining us today. New legislation just passed in the Australian state of Victoria relating to how pastors, psychologists and doctors relate to LGBTI people and it will potentially have big implications for pastoral ministry. Neil Foster, the Associate Professor of Law at Newcastle University is with me as is Peter Barnes, the Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church of Australia and online Heath Easton who is pastor of Druin Presbyterian Church just east of Warrigal in country Victoria. Now, Neil Foster, let's start with you. What does this new legislation in Victoria mean for Christian ministry in that state? What, according to law, can a minister do and what can't a minister do going forward? Well, the legislation um, defines a thing called change or suppression practice, uh, which basically is prohibited to anyone to do. So not only ministers, but Bible study group leaders, congregation members. And the change or suppression practice that's prohibited is um, a practice or conduct that's directed at someone on the basis of their sexual orientation or their gender identity designed to um, suppress their, that sexual orientation or identity or to change it. And so these terms get various definitions in the legislation, but the bottom line is that a one-to-one -one conversation with someone where you explore the Bible with them and you explain that the Bible's view is that sexual activity is reserved for a man-woman marriage and shouldn't be engaged in outside that context. That if you, if you explain that to them and you encourage them to obey the Bible, then you're engaged in a change in suppression practice. So um, that sort of uh, conduct and it's, whether it's engaged in by a minister, it, the legislation just says a person shall not engage in this. And the scope of the legislation is incredibly wide and would in theory, uh, as I say, cover a Bible study leader having a conversation with someone in, in their group. Uh, it may even cover a parent having a conversation with a child. So uh, it's, uh, it's very broad. And of course, um, you know, none of us support uh, the sorts of horrific, oppressive medical practices that were allegedly done in the past or were done in the past with electrodes and aversion therapy and that sort of stuff to try and change someone's sexual orientation. That's, that's abhorrent. But this legislation goes well beyond that uh, and creates, uh, makes it unlawful to encourage someone in this area to obey what the Bible says, unfortunately. Now, in terms of what you can do, um, in the passage of the bill through Parliament, the government said, well, this doesn't affect sermons to general congregations. So, and what they're relying on is the fact that if you just explain what your religion's view is based on the Bible or other religious text, then that doesn't amount to urging someone to change or suppress their, be their behaviour. That's, that's their theory. So their theory is it's okay if you preach a sermon. Um, but And if you do it to the congregation at large without targeting anyone individual, the chances are you probably won't fall foul of this legislation. But any one-to-one -one conversations, and it specifically lists prayer as something that you can do that will breach this legislation, um, run, run the risk of, um, of breaching the law. Now, sorry, just one other thing is that the law hasn't commenced operation yet and the last thing I heard was that they're intending to take about a year before it actually bites, but nevertheless it's there on the books and it will, it will be something that, uh, that uh, people need to think about. So that's very helpful. Um, so it doesn't apply at the moment? 
hasn't hasn't received the royal assent yet, which is the first stage after it goes through Parliament. And after that, it then needs to commence separately. And my understanding is the government has said they're not going to commence it for another year. That's the last thing I heard. Now, who knows what will happen? But that's at, at that point, the commencement is really in the will of the government. You know, once it's through, passed by the governor. Um, but they have, I think they've got to put in place um, infrastructure to support the legislation. And the legislation has a really detailed role for the Human Rights Commission in Victoria that they can investigate, uh, serve notices on people, all sorts of things. And my view, to be blunt, is that the Victorian Department or the Human Rights Commission will be developing its infrastructure over the next year before they commence the legislation. Right. Now, just to clarify... What about the practice in our Bible study group of working sequentially through the Bible and we get to the passage in a particular Bible study group? We get to 1 Corinthians 6, we get to Romans 1. Mm. Um, uh, what happens there? Well, the legislation uh, doesn't exempt uh, sequential Bible study from itself. I mean, if you come on a particular night to 1 Corinthians 6 where the passage says that... Um, Homosexual activity is one of those rebellious acts against God which will see a person um, receive God's judgment if they don't repent from it. If you get to that passage and as a group you're saying, well, we want to encourage each other to obey this law, to obey this passage in the Bible, um, there's a possibility that someone who is same-sex attracted um, may receive that uh, encouragement and then... Uh, they may later feel that that's harmed them in some way and there may be a problem with that uh, with that event. So, yeah, it's... So while sermons well, in a church building, formal thing is uh, excluded, Bible study group is included? Arguably, yes. Arguably, yes. And even the exclusion of sermons, to be, to be honest, if the government thinks that's the case, I wish they had put it in the legislation because you have to, you know, work through the wording very carefully. But they have said they're excluding sermons to a congregation at large. But the, where I'm a little bit uncertain is that they then say, well, just explaining what the Bible says is OK. But then they say, but it's not OK if you go and encourage people to, I mean, to do it. Which is a misunderstanding of the whole way a sermon works, exactly. where we're exhorting people to godliness. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's go to Heath Easton uh, in Druin in Victoria. And uh, Heath... Um, uh, a, a woman with same-sex attraction, lesbian woman, came to talk to you a decade ago. I wonder if you could take us through that pastoral journey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, it's been a real privilege for my wife and I to be a, been a part of this journey over 10 years. Uh, when this uh, woman came to speak to us about her struggle with same-sex attraction, um, uh, early on when she got to know us, um, bit by bit she opened up about her same-sex attraction, which she'd been processing by herself for a long time, and, and it was creating a whole lot of uh, inner turmoil for her. She didn't know who to trust and who to turn to to talk to. Uh, she was extremely uh, vulnerable and mentally unwell at the time. Um, and this woman just wanted to be able to talk openly and frankly uh, about faith and sexuality issues. Um, and. She was just finding uh, it difficult to know who that she could turn to for that. So she came seeking prayer and friendship and support and a hope and a, a path to freedom and love, all of these things from us and um, direction in God's word. Um, and so while she was experiencing these same-sex attractions at the time, uh, she came to us asking us to be accountability partners for her um, and for advice because she didn't want to pursue these desires. 
Uh, and it wasn't because she was looking for any formal therapy uh, to help her uh, give up her homosexual attraction or to uh, become heterosexual in her attractions, um, but because she'd made this self-determination uh, to resist what she described as unwanted same-sex attraction. And so she just wanted this informal help uh, in her life to uh, express her sexuality with integrity before her God as a follower of Jesus. Um, and so she was willing to live a celibate life if that's what it would take uh, to be faithful to God. Um, and it, it has been a privilege just to be able to talk with her and to pray with her and spur her on towards holiness and to share this struggle with her. So we've, we've been accountability partners. We've sent texts and emails and cried with her in our living room uh, and prayed with her. It, um, and in that time, it's been a joy to see her really flourish and come to a far better place in terms of her, her mental and her emotional and uh, her spiritual and physical health in that time. And we should say, Heath, that um, uh, you spoke to her last night. She's given you permission to share this story. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and it's been a 10-year journey uh, that you've been on with her. Mm. Now, uh, if it was a year's time in the future, mm. uh, Neil... Would he have broken the law? Well, um, it sounds that's possible because the, the legislation, one thing I didn't mention before, says that a change or suppression practice can occur with or without a person's consent. So even if the person approaches a pastor and says, I'm wrestling with this issue, I'm a believer and I want to uh, deal with unwanted sexual temptation, uh, that can still be a change or suppression practice according to the legislation. So, yes, there is a danger that that sort of um, activity might in future be unlawful. Now, uh, let's come to Peter Barnes, Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church of Australia. We've got a young bloke, a young minister in country Victoria. Peter, I, I take it you get phone calls from young ministers saying, um, boss, well, they don't call you boss in the Presbyterian Church, but... Um, no, you're just a chairman. Yeah. <laughs> what do I Everybody do? Everybody reminds you that you're not the boss. Yeah. You're not the boss, yeah. <laughs> what do I do in this situation? Um, so as you give young blokes advice in this situation, young ministers, um, what, what are you telling people like Keith in this situation going forward? Well, the letter I put out uh, referred to two Bible passages, and, and one was Acts 20, uh, that we're under obligation to preach the whole counsel of God. And it doesn't mean we do it every time, um, but in an appropriate way. We're innocent of the blood of all men if we preach the whole counsel of God. If we leave things out that are significant, well, that's on our heads. So we don't have that right to pick and choose. Um, and the second... So we want to be teaching in church and in Bible study group and in one-to-one? -one. Yeah, the, I mean, this is... To, trajectory of where this is going that's as, as, as bad as where mm. it's already gone, um, if it's all right to teach the Bible in a general way, in, in, put it like that, in, in, a, in public worship, so you work 1 Corinthians 6, for example, uh, but uh, on Wednesday night in your Bible study, that, that ceases to be all right. I mean, that, that's just that's ludicrous, apart from anything. And the trajectory of the whole approach is that sermons will be hit. So, so mm. pastors shouldn't think, oh, we're safe for a year or we're safe for two years. They might be, but then the, the, the whole foundation of this is um, this is my identity, uh, my sexuality, and it cannot be changed. And the whole foundation for, for the, the Bible's message, the Christian message, is this is not your identity 
we are sinners who can be changed. Such were some of you. That's, that's 1 Corinthians 6. That's the first century. People changed. God changed people. Uh, we just heard another example. Uh, and there were many examples. And this legislation works on the assumption that that doesn't happen, yet that your sexuality is fixed forever. But your gender is not. It's fluid. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be a, a male one day, tomorrow a female. It, it, they talk about appealing to the science. There's no science in that. Um, so you're encouraging the people like Heath to be teaching expository through really through the Bible, teaching the whole counsel of God, to be doing that on Sundays, to be doing that on Wednesday nights, to be doing that one-to-one. You can't preach 1 Corinthians 6 on Sunday and then somebody is convicted by it and wants help, genuinely wants help. There'll be set-ups here. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is aimed um, to, to foster set-ups and encourage them. Uh, but as someone comes to a genuine problem and talks to you on on Wednesday and say, sorry, what I said on Sunday has no application to to, uh, to what I can say now. I mean, that, apart from anything else, that's, just, that's absurd. That's schizophrenic. Uh, the government is imposing coercive and unreasonable and irrational and every adjective you can find um, restrictions on on ordinary people. It, it will not just apply to pastors, it will apply to families. If there's someone in the family um, who wants to gravitate one way or the other and the parent is not keen and wants to talk to them, if, if the relationship is bad enough, it's, if, the, if the, uh, the homosexual or lesbian a member of the family is aggrieved enough you call in the Human Rights Commission and you've got real trouble. Mm. Mm. Um, how does it make you feel? Uh, I just I find it quite frightening to think uh, that we wouldn't be able to provide, you know, under law, the kind of help that uh, people like this woman that I've shared, the help that they've requested, we wouldn't be able to legally offer it to them. Um, you know, this, this woman shared with me that if, if those years ago we had have said to her when she asked for this kind of help, uh, sorry, uh, we can't engage in this conversation. We can't offer you the help that you've actually come to us asking for, um, because it it would make us uh, our criminals. It's, it would be against the law for us to do so. Um, it would have broken her at the time. Um, she just told me that she doesn't think she would still be here today if that had been our response when she was reaching out for help. Um, given that she was uh, mentally unwell at the time and had already attempted suicide, it would have been extremely damaging. Um, and alternatively, if I just uh, affirmed her in sort of her her natural orientation, though that they were unwanted orientations, uh, that would have been actually uh, violating her self-determination to live a life of holiness and pursue God in the midst of it. And it would have made me a pretty unfaithful pastor too. So just to be clarify, you're saying you think had you not engaged in that pastoral conversation with her, there's a risk that she could have committed suicide? Oh, yeah, she was extremely vulnerable. And she, she said those very words, I don't think I would still be here if that's how that conversation had have turned out. I mean, I take it that's why the um, I, I noticed the Psychiatrists Association and the AMA have both come out against this Victorian legislation. Is that how you would read it, Neil? Well, I'm not an expert in those areas. and mm-hmm. so, I, But I, I, would, I'm, I was shocked that there was no real recognition through the parliamentary debate and discussion of this 
that respected authorities like that came out and said, this, this is problematic. And they were particularly addressing the, um, the gender transition mm-hmm. issues because there's been a lot of developments recently pointing out that some of the practices have been involved in, in um, encouraging young people to transition at an early age and giving them hormones and all sorts of other things. There's a lot of medical evidence now and a, and a court case in the UK that says that that's inappropriate, that it's untested. And so there were professionals here, medical professionals, who were saying, hang on, we need to look up at this, we need to think about this legislation. Um, and yet the thing was steamrolled through the Victorian Parliament without taking that into account. Not to mention the hundred or so uh, clergy in Victoria who put out an open letter saying we need to consider this issue from the point of religious freedom. But, mm. So a number of concerns have been expressed about this. Mm. Heath, um, what's the feeling amongst your peers um, across the Victorian church? Uh, I think there's, there's confusion. Your very first question today was, was helpful about what can pastors do and what can't they do. Um, there's confusion about whether we're allowed to preach uh, God's standards for sexuality and gender from the scriptures, if we just do that from the pulpit, it's just people are unsure. Uh, so the ambiguity sort of actually reduces our freedoms, even if it's not in the law. Um, but there is a, a general feel that uh, really these helpful practices that are going on will continue to do them. We, we seek to obey God and not man. Um, and we, we want to be able to be faithful pastors that encourage people to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus when it comes to sexuality and purity. Uh, so in a sense, we'll, we'll continue doing this as pastors um, because we, we love our people and we want to be uh, faithful to Jesus. Hmm. What, um, what's the discussions at the kind of upper levels of the denomination in terms of uh, uh, what can be done in terms of appeal and challenge, those kind of things, Peter? I'm not the fellow to ask. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not sure that's the way the system works. Uh, I'm with Heath. I think we just confront a very bad law, a bad law in every way, you know, before God and before man, before society, before the very vulnerable people in society. It's, it's not going to help anybody. It's going to promote a litigious society and, and uh, an oppressive society where we have a sense of freedoms being taken away. Is there a sense, Heath, um, uh, of overreach? outside? I'm talking outside the pastors group uh, in Victoria, but is there a sense in the general community of government overreach here? Uh, this has gone too far when, when we're actually causing, um, you know, things like the, the gender dysphoria for, for young people who are saying, oh, I feel like I'm a boy when they've been born uh, a girl and we have to actually support them in that and pursue this path with them. When uh, the feeling is these people, are, these kids are not old enough to vote or uh, to, to drink and to drive, and yet we have to support them in these life-changing and permanent decisions. Um, that is risky, and I think people can see that that's too far, and that will do damage when these children would naturally um, perhaps change their orientations and change their feelings. Um, it is too far. What do you think is going to happen in 12 months' time, Neil? Um, <laughs> I, I, will, I will give the answer that I'm, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. <laughs> no, 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 I, come I, on. <laughs> I... I I don't. Uh, I don't really know. I think that um, there are uh, some some thinking that needs to be done by the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if the freedom of religion legislation yeah, does come in, yeah. that could be a game changer. So the religious discrimination bill that's been released as an exposure draft mm-hmm. and hasn't been introduced into federal parliament yet might, in theory, provide protection for religious freedom. Um, 
in Victoria, with the exception or with except that the current definition under that bill exempts state legislation from the protection of religious freedom. So anything that's um, anything that's unlawful under a state law can't be regarded as a religious belief or activity under the federal draft at the moment. I think this Victorian legislation illustrates why that's a bad piece of drafting mm-hmm. and I would hope that the federal government will, will carefully think when they go to introduce the religious discrimination bill um, about much more closely confining the areas which are clearly not acceptable religious activity. I mean, obviously, um, urging that people be beheaded or killed for their faith, you know, that's a bad... We've got to exclude that from protection but um, I think there are, there's, there's a, a bigger debate that needs to be had at that level. So I would hope there'd be some thought go into the, the federal government's view on this. If the federal government passes a law that protects religious freedom of Victorians and that clashes with the Victorian law, then depending on how everything un- unfolds, the federal law would prevail. And so that may be one way forward. But of course... Speaking now, not as a lawyer, but as a believer, I guess what I'm going to do is to encourage um, people to keep on um, obeying God and preaching the word of God. Um, I'm uh, incredibly impressed by Peter's statement. I think that that's the right statement. I, as a lawyer, I've regularly said to Christian groups, you can't just disobey the law because you disagree with it, okay? That that Mm -hmm. Romans 13 tells us that we are to respect our our appointed Mm -hmm. government that God has given over us. And so I have often said to Christians, no, no, just this, you may not like things like masks or limits, but that's what you've got to do. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to this situation where the government has said, you must not teach the word of God or help people to obey the word of God, it seems to me that that goes directly contrary to Jesus' words to his disciples, that they had to go and make disciples and teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so in those circumstances, I think there is a situation where... um, Uh, pastors and Bible study leaders and and Christians may have to decide to disobey this law if if it doesn't get changed Mm. Um, because this is going contrary to what God has told his people to do. Is that your read too, Heath? Yeah, that's that's the feel from the ministers that I've spoken to in in these networks. Um, How how could we do anything other than the job that we've been called to do as pastors to uh, teach God's word and encourage people to be followers of Jesus and to take that seriously without compromise. How did it get... Um, I find it astonishing that the government of Victoria uh, has got this legislation right to that degree without realising such a significant number of its citizens are actually completely out of step with, with the legislation that it's proposing. Yeah. How the opposition was so spineless. Spineless, yeah. They've been hopeless, both of them. Oh, dreadful, yeah. 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 Uh, And those pushing this agenda have pushed hard. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and there's intimidation and a vacuum that's there. And I think that's, culturally, that's it. You're dealing in a a moral and spiritual vacuum. People don't know what's right or wrong and they don't have strong views on it, so they get swayed one way and it easily gets through. it's, It's not just a case of religious... Uh, discrimination, but but the ordinary person who might not be religious, um, if he says something, theoretically he's he or she is up for it. Mm. it it's mm. issue of freedom. Everybody's freedom. It's it's worth saying that there are a number of uh, feminist groups who mm. are not at all Christian, but are seriously concerned about this 
developments in this area and have been concerned about this, particularly in the recognition of the, of the gender transition area, mm-hmm. um, that uh, this has become a real issue where groups that have uh, been supporting women's rights for years have said, well, we just can't accept a situation where um, a person who self-identifies as a woman can invade women's spaces and all these sorts of things. So that's also uh, an issue. Uh, but in terms of how it came about, uh, one could look at different steps, but um, there was a, a research report from uh, La Trobe University which has supported a lot of this stuff and, and a number of people have examined that report and said it was based on 15 Good self-reported thanks. subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, as, as a piece of research, it was not rigorous, mm. it, it was not representative. Uh, there's been an, another group that's done research and has contacted about 70 people or more mm. who have been people who wanted to um, not express same-sex attraction and to receive help with that and have, have reported positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. And, so, and yet the one piece of report research has been accepted and driven government policy and the other has been ignored. So there, is, uh, there are a lot of factors at work, but that's one of the things that's happened in this area, I think. Um. You mentioned the uh, the federal government and their religious freedom legislation a moment ago. Why has that taken so long to get to the to get to the parliament? Because I was expecting it to come a year ago. Yeah. Well, I think the short answer is that dreaded word COVID. I mean, basically, once COVID hit, the legislation was was sort of almost at the point of coming into parliament in January, February, twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, it, once that hit, everybody's mainly concerned about the economic impacts of COVID, dealing with COVID. Whether it will now come back, now that we kind of, we don't exactly have COVID under complete control, but we know how to live with it, I think, a bit mm-hmm. more. Uh, that's a, a question for politicians. I would love to see it come back in a good form with sensible amendments and to be debated in the federal parliament. And I would love for the the ALP to support it as well as the coalition because both sides of Parliament, I think, have people who would normally vote for them who are concerned about these religious freedom issues. So, mm. But um, we will just have to see how things unfold. Mm. Heath, can I ask you to lead us in prayer? And um, I might get you to, if you wouldn't mind, to pray about our pastoral ministry to um, uh, people experiencing same-sex attraction uh, going forward. Mm. Yeah. Before I do, could I just share um, the end of the story for this young woman? That oh, we yeah. engage with. Yeah, so um, look, by God's grace, we really re- rejoice with this young woman um, in the work that God's done in her uh, through his word and by his spirit. Um, she no longer identifies herself as a lesbian. In, in fact, by, by God's grace, she is now very joyfully and happily married to her husband in a heterosexual relationship. And that wasn't what she initially uh, came to us seeking, but uh, we rejoice that God has done this great work in her through just the, the gentleness of time spent with her and encouragement and prayer. Uh, so, you know, a wonderful transformation. And so you wouldn't say um, there was any conversion therapy or anything like that. You just say the pastoral ministry, the regular pastoral ministry of the teaching of the word, um, prayer, conversation, um, exhorting to godliness is what's happened. Is that I'm, I'm absolutely ten years ago? I wouldn't have thought of calling it conversion therapy, um, but now, yes, it would be certainly defined as that, including prayer and even if it's voluntary and and willing. 
Uh, so that's what it would be. But discussing sermons that I'd preached from the pulpit one-on-one, being able to wrestle with those things together, uh, all of the things that you know technically we wouldn't be able to do anymore uh, would fall under this category, and they were the things that were helpful. Mm. Thanks, Heath. You want to lead us in yeah. prayer? Let's pray. Our Sovereign Lord, thank you that you are a good and loving and gracious God. Uh, thank you that you are a holy God and you call us to holiness. Um, because you have made us uh, for life in obedience to you and living your way in this world that you have made, uh, to live according to the way that you've designed us is what is good and wholesome for us. Uh, So, Lord, we pray that you will support uh, individuals uh, within our state of Victoria and uh, within our nation, those who are uh, feeling vulnerable in their uh, uncertainty and uh, confusion about gender identity and uh, sexual orientation, those that desire to follow Jesus and to deny themselves to even pursue him in the area of uh, sexual purity and in, in their gender identity. Um, our Lord, please help them to find uh, the help they need from you and through your people and through the local church. Uh, Lord, we pray for pastors in local churches, for Bible study leaders, uh, for chaplains in universities and schools, uh, for friends and for parents speaking to those in this situation, that you'll give them great love, uh, sensitivity wisdom and you will help them to balance all of these um, support they give with a faithfulness to your word and a pursuit to be holy a desire to uh, live for you Uh, lord may you do a great work through this we pray and give boldness to know how to uh, for us to respect our government uh, and yet still stand firmly by your word and we ask it in jesus name Amen. amen amen Thanks, Heath. My guests on The Pastor's Heart today, Neil Foster, the Associate Professor of Law at Newcastle University, Peter Barnes, Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church of Australia, and online from Druin in country Victoria, Heath Easton, the pastor of Druin Presbyterian Church. Thanks for joining us on this special edition of The Pastor's Heart. We'll be back next Tuesday afternoon. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.